Welcome to Life After the Fire, the preeminent podcast for all things related to having an amazing life after the fire service. My name is Chris Phelps. I'm your host. I'm joined today by uh, somebody who has referred to the show, Larry Doling. Am I saying the last name right? Doling? Doling. It's Chinese. Chinese. Maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> so, Larry, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and why somebody would, uh, would, would think you... Uh, uh, that we should talk to you on the show. I have no idea why anybody would want to talk to me. I'm an old retired guy. <laughs> I, I retired from Palm Beach County Fire Rescue about 28 plus years. And I got into it late. I was 31 years old. So I'm one of the late bloomer guys. Did some time in the Army Reserve and the Air Force. I, uh, I was in charge of the CISM team for a number of years, critical and stress management. Uh, mental health is very important to me. Um, it's uh, it's been an honor to go to a lot of different places. Like they uh, uh, talked to some officers after the Pulse nightclub shooting, and I did a lot of work uh, through Chris Bader with uh, Coral Springs after the uh, Stoneman Douglas High School shootings, and that plus just all kinds of day to day uh, responses all over Palm Beach County. And then I got a uh, master's degree in social work, which is the same degree that a lot of the uh, EAP clinicians have for um, a lot of departments. So on paper, I'm qualified to be a, a counselor, an EAP counselor. And maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, let's, yeah. uh, let, let's dive into, to some of the, uh, the mental health, uh, aspects, you know, obviously this is, this is about having a, a great life after the fire. Right. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those things that could, you know, not only could it cut a career short, um, but there's a, there's definitely an, an aspect to, or an importance to, you know, mental health, uh, after the fire service, you know, just, just losing that, you know, you, you have a tendency to lose that connection with the, with the guys and gals you've been working with. Um, let's, I guess just, let's dive into, to some of that. So what, uh, what, what would you say, uh, or let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, you know, on the job uh, mental, mental health stuff. Um, it's very important to maintain yourself physically. When I first started, you know, physical fitness was important through my experience with the army and then, you know, going through recruit Academy and all that. But at that time, this was the, uh, this was the early nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties. It was a, uh, I'm sure it was in your experience too, it was just sort of a suck it up type mentality. We didn't really talk about anything and uh, there's some weird stuff goes on. You know, it's a, it's a very, I had explained to me, it's a very strange job. Yeah. yeah. We, we check some trucks out in the morning. We've got some paperwork we have to do. You do a little meeting and uh, maybe some training. And then after that, your, your job is to just hang around and wait for something bad to happen to somebody else. And yeah. it's very strange. So after a while, um, that that stuff can add up. It's it's like um, certain certain. Um, is that coming across on you? That little ring? No. Okay. Um, every day you go in every shift, as it was explained to me, is just a little grain of sand that gets put in your rucksack on your back. Uh-huh. Uh, just just you know, you know all this stuff. The the sleep deprivation, the schedule work, just being pulled away from things, uh, just everything that you see. And then 
once in a while you get these rather large boulders the the big calls sure those calls are are big rocks that go in your rucksack and they can really slow you down quite a bit uh, a lot of these things you're always going to have that rucksack it's always going to have these things in it and you're going to accumulate quite a bit of things over a career of 20 25 30 years but um Again, like it was explained to me, a lot of these things, especially these larger calls, it's like a tattoo. You're always going to have that tattoo. But as you digest it, and if you can be, uh, you get a healthy outlook on it, you can you can look at that tattoo and not have that emotional reaction. Over time, you, you've got the event, and then you've got your emotional reaction, and they're together at the, in the very beginning. But after time, right. they, they split apart. So you can look at the event, you can think about the event, and you don't have this emotional reaction. That's what you're going for. And that's how you move forward. Your goal, your goal is to have a great career, make it to the end. You point to the calendar on the day that you want to retire. And then after that, it's to live long enough to be a burden on the retirement system that you're in. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important. You, yeah. you have to be, you have to retire physically and mentally healthy. Sammy uh, Eaton was on here. I listened to his podcast. I know Sammy very well. He's a great guy. He does a lot of great work. Yeah. He's talking about the physical aspects of retiring, but the mental aspects, you've got to retire with all your marbles, man. Things start to fly apart and you end up getting a divorce. Your kids hate you. You get up every morning and you, you know, you got to do a couple of shots of whiskey. Just get out of bed. What kind of life, life is that, man? You have to be able to enjoy that retirement. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a great analogy. Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, filling up the rucksack. You know, I've always been taught the filling up your trash can, you know, yeah. uh, every call you want is, you know, a little wadded up piece of paper thrown in your trash can. Some, some are the smaller pieces of paper. Some are, you know, throwing a phone book in your, your trash can. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never heard that. Uh, that the way you spoke of how the two are connected, you know, the, the emotional reaction and the event and how, you know, we want to, you know, work to, to, I guess, bridge the gap or not necessarily bridge, get the gap, but, but create a gap, I guess, is the, is the appropriate term there. Right. You, you just, you just want, you just want to have a healthy outlook on things. You want to be able to process things and digest them. Well, it, Right now, every, everywhere you go in your day, you're receiving information. You're, you're receiving three or five senses, and it's coming into you. And, you know, I, this is my second podcast I've ever done, but it's not that unusual. I'm just talking to you. It's like a, it's a Zoom meeting. It's not that big a deal. So everything that's happening right now for you and for me, we have a place to put all this in our brains. There's a little file cabinet in your brain, and you can put these things away, and then we can go and and work on the rest of our day or whatever else we can do. And then at, at night, this, hopefully <laughs> this podcast talking to me, isn't going to keep you up at night worrying about it. Right. Exactly. Because you have a place to put all of this that we have experienced. I'm going to go in and feed my dog later on today. I've, I've done this a million times. I know where to put that experience. We're putting groceries away. I know how to put it. When you go to these larger calls in specific terms, um, you don't have any place to put that stuff. It, this is so outside of your moral, moral injury is a term you see quite a bit. 
that call basically was some sort of moral injury to you and you have nowhere to put it. So you're, you're, you're sitting there with this, with this pile of paperwork, which is that event mm-hmm. and you've got nowhere to put it. Right. Right. So you're trying to function throughout your day with a stack of paperwork you're carrying around with you and you can't go to sleep with it because you can't put it down. You yeah. can't do other things properly because you can't put it down. You can't interact with the people around you at home. You can't even tell your spouse sometimes about this pile of paperwork that you're carrying around, this, this pile of crap, because yeah. it's, you, you don't have that place. And I, I got involved in the counseling. If you, you want to get into that, we can. But yeah. I, I got the degree because I, I, I was at a very busy station years ago. And we had a number of different, uh, they call it a CISM call-out. You're familiar with CISM? Oh, yeah. Okay. Most, if, if you're not, basically it's a, it's a group of volunteers, and uh, they're generally first responders. My team was Palm Beach County Fire Rescue. It, wasn't, uh, it was Palm Beach County, not Palm Beach County Fire Rescue. So we, we, we had lifeguards. We had uh, uh, fish and wildlife people, cops. Uh, all that kind of stuff were on the team. We would respond to other agencies along with Palm Beach County. But I was at a busy station. We had a number of different call-outs for the CISM team, which meant they came to our station and they did a debriefing, defusing with us. And uh, after a while, the person who's in charge of it, Chuck Salustri, great guy, uh, since retired and quite happy, uh, he he asked me to be on the team which I, I thought was pretty amazing. I really never thought about that kind of thing before. I never thought about mental health or anything. Uh, a few years later, he retired and he came to me and he said, would you like to be the team coordinator, which basically is the person in charge? So I said, yeah, sure. And that's how I ended up doing it. But um, it, and then that's how I, I, I came to know uh, every CISM team has a team clinician. So I had Dr. Tehan. She's also in charge of the uh, of the uh, social worker program at Barry University. Very smart lady, doctorate degree and all that. And I, I got into the mental health aspect of it a lot through her and some of the different seminars. And coming from the stuck it up generation, I learned very quickly, it ain't rocket science, man. I mean, it, it's, it's, it ain't rocket science. You're not going to sit on a couch and do all this weird hokey pokey stuff. All you're going to do is you're going to learn to put that paperwork somewhere. You're going to find a file cabinet for it somewhere. You're going to find a way to look at that tattoo and not have that emotional reaction. You're going to just find a way to process this stuff so you can sleep at night. And so you can not come in the house and start kicking the crap out of the dog when you get home, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's not that complicated. If I can understand it, it can't be that complicated. So <laughs> mental health, it's very important. You've got to retire with all your marbles. So that's long version of how I ended up here. But uh, it's not that it's not that tough, man. It really well, isn't. I think there's nothing uh, to be afraid of. Sure, and and I think back to to my career and uh, uh, and you know getting those that getting that paperwork, uh, you know, and sometimes. Yeah. You know, uh, sometimes it was, uh, you know, just a single sheet of paper. Yeah. Sometimes it was a phone book and the phone books, you know, those were, were large events and they were easy to detect that there was 
need for CISM. I it bet you still remember those calls, right? Oh yeah. Uh, do you do you still have the do you still have the emotional response at no. this time? Or are you able to look at it and think about it without that? Yeah, I, I was I was very fortunate in that uh, I've always had a, the ability to uh, to separate it. Right. Uh, what were what was your expectations of this job when you first started? I uh, uh, you know I started uh, very young. Uh, I was the you know the kid that would uh, parents would bring by the fire station to see the fire trucks at five years old. And, uh, was the one that, that never grew out of it, you know? So I, right. I, and I got started in the, in the fire service as a junior volunteer at like the age of 13. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I grew up in it. Uh, you knew what you were getting into. I knew what I was getting into at a very young right. age. Um, you know, nobody really, I guess nobody really knows or under at that time, you know, nobody really knew or understood the, the mental health aspect of it. Right. Uh, um, but I was, you know, I was fortunate and, and all of the, you know, when I had those big phone book, as I'll call them phone book calls, yeah. you know, those, those big calls, it was, you know, we had CISM and, and, uh, and it, and it helped to, to talk stuff out and, and ne- you know, never had, uh, an incident that, that really impacted me to that degree. Right. You know, that's, a, I, that's I important. Had, I had to add instance where, you know, you second guess yourself, you know, did I do this right? You know, um, you know, I guess those, I guess I kind of had more of an emotional reaction to and kept those longer, but, but nothing that was ever, you know, debilitating to the point of, uh, you know, doing something unhealthy. Right. Um, everyone, everyone over time, whether you're a firefighter or, or any other career, you you develop armor, you know. You you develop armor to to keep the world at a distance and that kind of stuff. So when when certain things happen, you've got that armor to protect you. Just the fact that you're in a fire station with the other with the rest of the crew and stuff like that, it helps, you know. And and your training, your competence, I think helps you a lot. We'll talk about that in a minute if you want to. Um, it. But every once in a while, everybody, everybody's armor is like Swiss cheese. There's holes in, right? Sure. Um, I do not have any children that I know of. I haven't got any Father's Day cards so far. But uh, my daughter is my stepdaughter. I met her when she was four years old. Uh-huh. And what, what I'm getting at is I, most of the calls that affect people the most are a reflection of themselves. And... To be very blunt, a lot of the calls, things that we got called for, were dead kid calls. Yeah, and uh, and I, if if we're having a beer, not in front of everyone here, we could both sit down if you wanted to and talk about some pretty gross stuff that we've seen, and a lot of involved children. Yeah. I've had that same experience that you've had. I I have not had a call pierce my arm yet. I've been lucky, right? But I certainly understand when I look over. And we've just been on a four-year-old kid call, and I see Joey, he's, he's got a five-year-old kid, and I see he's not doing very good, you know, that kind of thing. I, I understand that completely. And, yeah. and your leadership, as I was a captain in a fire station since 2002, when, when you are able to process these things and understand them within yourself, that's your first step. 
and then you can see it in yourself, how things are affecting you. The next step is to look out into number one, your crew and see how these things are affecting them or anything is affecting them, whether it's just on a fire or, or you see one of these phone book calls, we'll call it. Yeah. And then see in the general public, you know, you understand when you get off the fire engine and somebody screaming and yelling and, and lost their mind. Well, that's, that's not that usual person. They, they have been affected by this. So you need to stay calm and not get drawn into that world. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's why I got this little tattoo. It's a sword. So you are on one side of the sword and how you view the world. And then everybody else is on the other side of the world, other side of the sword. So you have to be able to apply these things that you learn about mental health to other people, especially when you're in a leadership position. Yeah. And I used to, I used to, uh, after we'd have these calls, I, I would, we, whether we had a formal debriefing with CISM or, uh, we would just have kitchen table therapy at the fire station. Mm-hmm. I, afterwards, I would call every single member of the crew into my office alone, close the door, and I'd tell them, I said, you realize this zone, we've got a three to five minute response time anywhere we go. And you know how the call gods operate. Can you go back and service right now in three to five minutes? Can you run that same call that we just ran? Whatever horrific thing just happened. And if the answer isn't immediately yes, then we need to think about you doing something else, you know, like I, uh, that's a whole nother thing. Um, you don't necessarily have to send people home because you don't know what home is. You're sure. assuming home is a stable environment. They right. might want to just stay and, and spend the shift there. But if they're not ready to run that same call, if they're not a hundred percent, then, you know, they need to think about doing something else, at least getting their gear off the truck. Yeah. You know, and then spend the night in the fire station, they go home with everybody else. You know, because yeah, that that's something to think about too. So, sure. But always always be always have your finger on the pulse of the crew when it comes to these larger event calls or yeah, not necessarily large event calls, but significant uh events we call them generally yeah. in CI. So well and and you know uh, we've we've talked on a, a, a previous show how you know those those big calls are, are, you know, those are easy, you know, to, to detect or, or realize that somebody, you know, needs that, that CISM, that, that, that peer counseling, if you will. Um, it's, it's the smaller, it's the smaller yeah. incidents that um, seem innocuous to, right. to anybody else, but for, for whatever reason, they strike a nerve with somebody. Right. Everything's a reflection on yourself. So if you have, I, I've had calls where, you know, it's the typical deceased elderly female. And, you know, this, this is in South Florida. This is something we see all the time, you yeah. know, and, and, but this person, um, this person was hugely affected by it. And I was lucky enough. One of the other members of the crew said something to me. And this person was basically raised by their grandmother. And mm-hmm. that person, that, if that event reminded them of their grandmother quite a bit and they were, uh, it knocked them down a little bit. So yeah. you, you know, and you're, you depend on other people to let you in on these things. You, everybody in a fire station, I think has a responsibility for leadership, not just the captain or the lieutenant. And, uh, it's your job to watch out for the rest of your crew, you know, whether you're the rookie or you've been there 20 years. So keep an eye out for the other people and their mental health and how they're doing, you know? 
And what, your, what are some of the, the outward signs that you would, you would expect or, or, or should be on the, the lookout for? Well, uh, and even that's that small call. Yeah. I, I, I like to look at, uh, if you, you know, you go online, there's all kinds of articles and that on PTSD and, and things like that. That's another rabbit hole we can go down. Um, there's a thing called the DSM five. Now that's the diagnostics and statistics manual that all from psychiatrists all the way down to, to us, um, social workers use, and it's got PTSD listed in there. If you flip the page, there's another thing called uh, acute stress syndrome. And there's a list of all these different um, signs, symptoms, or whatever of, of PTSD. Uh, there, there's lists all over the place. Um, difficulty sleeping, intrusive thoughts, uh, increased alcohol. Yeah, you can look all this stuff up. They're, they're all over the place. Um, yeah. If you get a list of these things, uh, I like to tell people, uh, when you talk to your firefighters, when you, when you talk to your family, whatever, if you walk up there and say, Hey, Hey, Chris, uh, you doing okay, man? That call is kind of rough. What are you going to say? 90% of the time. What are you going to say? Yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. Right. I'm good. Right. Okay. Good for you, man. That's okay. Now we can, if you get that list, think of that list as a list of questions. It's not a list of bullet statements. So, you know, I see you the next shift. Hey, Chris, how you doing? You're going to say I'm fine. I'm good. All right. And then I can throw it down. There's a bullet comment in there about uh, not sleeping. So I can throw it down. I'm not going to ask you how you're sleeping. I'm going to say, I don't know about you, man. I went home. I didn't sleep too good that next night. How about you? You ask them a question. You tell them, you know, uh, make yourself a little vulnerable. Explain to them you're having a little bit of an issue. It depends how far down that rabbit hole you want to go, but yeah. and then they'll maybe open up a little bit. Or how you doing, Chris? I, I don't know about you, man. I keep thinking about that call last shift. You know, yeah. I, I was washing the dishes last night at home and it just popped into my head. That's yeah. an intrusive thought, you know. So you can use these things to to ask people about them. It's a tool. And and that's much more effective than saying, Hey man, how you doing? Because nobody's yeah. going to say shit to you, you know, uh, yeah. 90, 99% of the time, right? Yeah. I mean, what, what would you say if your captain came up to you and said, how you doing? You know, mm-hmm. especially if you're a younger guy. I mean, you got into this job young. Yeah. You're 22 years old. Are you going to tell me that you're not doing too good with that call? Uh, it's not likely. No, why not? Uh, some of it's pride, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not much pride <laughs> around the fire station, right? Or ego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna show any vulnerability. Exactly. That was that was practically a statement we had made up on T-shirts in my battalion. Show no weakness. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You don't exactly. want to show weakness. But this yeah. is the other side of it. You know, there is a time to show a little vulnerability and a little bit of weakness. You're all human. If you try, it's you know, it's it's like a you know, you get that balloon and you push down the balloon, keep all those feelings inside and internalize everything. What's going to happen? The balloon's going to push up somewhere else, right? Yep. All of these things, you know, the, the, all that crap in that rucksack, the phone books, the grains of sand, the boulders, all that shit, it's going to wear you down, right? Eventually, it's going to pop up somewhere else. Yeah. Whether, you know, again, the quart of vodka every morning or stuff like that or lashing out at people, stuff like that. So you got to, 
got to be able to process this stuff, man. You got to be happy. You know? Yeah. Try. I don't know. That's good. So, yeah. It's a great way to explain it. Great way to, uh, a great, a great way to, to, to reach out to your, your fellow crewmates uh, yeah. and, and pose that question uh, and, you know, and test the waters, I guess, if you, if you will. And, yeah. and, and I understand that, you know, it is, you know, just like anything, you know, it's a, we're, we're a team. And uh, when, uh, when, when somebody on the, on the team is, is, is impacted, we're all impacted. Right. So, um, Do you know, um, another, another happy topic. Um, I'm fairly certain, uh, used to be Jeff Dill used to keep, uh, statistics on this stuff with his, uh, firefighter behavioral allowance alliance. And, um, you're familiar with this and, uh, um, cause of death of firefighters. Number one cause of death of firefighters around the country. You know, it's, it's not it's not line of duty death and it's not cancer. Wow. It's suicide. And no, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm fairly certain it still is. That's, so, uh, that's pretty profound. Yeah. So this is, this is vitally important to, to getting to, uh, to the other side, to, to getting to have a, a, a healthy, happy and healthy life after the fire service. Uh, can't, can't overemphasize it enough. Um, so of our, of our 10 listeners that are out there, uh, <laughs> if, if uh, my mom might be listening, so there's probably 11 now. <laughs> okay, good, good. Uh, so if, if anybody is listening and, and, and wanted to, to see or, uh, or get some more resources, uh, what, what would be a, a really good place to, to send them to? Um, just Google CISM. Obviously, they could Google it, but I, I don't know if there's yeah. anywhere you know specific that would be your you know the first thing that you, that you would think of. Well, you, you could Google CISM, and you're going to have the International uh, ICISF, International uh, crap. I can't remember what it stands for. ICISF. <laughs> Basically, that's the body that that runs CISM. It's run by some doctors and stuff like that. And it, it's got a lot of a uh, lot of information in there about uh, contacting a CISM team, setting up a CISM team, and all that. Um, the IAFF has gotten into peer support, which is very similar to uh, CISM. They're sure. almost identical. Yeah. So you can look at the IAFF website and look for peer support. There's a number of different things there. There's a chaplain's program. Fire service chaplains. Uh, that's another aspect for it. it's a more spiritual type thing. Um, your own EAP works out quite good. Um, my wife is a a founding member of a thing. It's a group on Facebook, and it's called the Redline Sisterhood. <clears throat> it's very important that your spouse is also part of this too. They're all affected by these things too. They're affected by the job. Sure. This is a, a group only for um, spouses, significant others of firefighters. So you, you'll see that on there. There's all kinds of information on there, and it's a support group and things like that's really good. So there, there's somewhere in there, there's something for everyone. Your department should have a, a number of these different things. This should be like a smorgasbord or a buffet 
that you go down with your little tray and you pick out what you need, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe the chaplain thing isn't for you. Maybe the chaplain thing is exactly what you need. Uh, I would strongly suggest that if you don't have a CISM team or a peer support, you start one. Um, the, this, this is, um, it's not that tough. I really get annoyed when I hear firefighters talking about headquarters, having worked at headquarters for a couple of years, how they should do this. They should do that. They weren't ready. They messed this up. There is no they in the fire department. When I'm on a crew, when I'm, I've got my, my crew out there, we're on a call, my battalion, whatever, there is no they. It's all we. we. We need to cut a hole in that roof. We need to go in and put that fire out. We need to go save those babies. Yeah. Right? You have been given a task within that, but apply that same mentality to your headquarters. Yeah. They aren't going to do shit. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. They at headquarters are not sitting around their desk waiting, you know, gosh, I wish some knucklehead from the field would bring us a problem with no answer. It do- nobody's doing that. Everybody's busy. They've got stuff to do. So if you want something done, you have to do it. You have to start these initiatives yourself. And it's, it's not that tar- that tough. I did a part-time for all those years. And it's, you know, it's, it's not that bad. I would also strongly suggest that you, you get to know the departments around you and network with the departments around you. Uh, Chris Bader, great guy. He started the firefighter. Um, uh, what's that? Um, uh, what's that group he's got? You know what it is? Uh, the Alliance. The the. Uh, but it's a, it's a networking group. It's anything you want. If you want to, you know, put something out in the group for nozzles. You know, who's got who's using what nozzles? You get it back. Uh, he's also got uh, uh, all these different things. But he networked all this together. I got to know him, and that, and then when they had the Stoneman Douglas shooting in his department, uh-huh. he wasn't calling some guy off a website in Palm Beach County. He was calling Larry Dole, his buddy that we knew. Uh-huh. And we were, we had that relationship. And then we called Mario and some of the guys down in uh, Metro Dave and, uh-huh. that, and they all came together and they did a terrific job uh, helping those guys out. So it's important that you network with other departments and other organizations around the other thing is, if you have like uh, three people on your CISM team, what if two of them are on are, the, are on the call? Yeah. yeah, it pretty much takes them out, you know. So you need to expand your your horizons a little bit. The other thing I would suggest too is actually uh, uh, vet your EAP people and uh-huh. vet your uh, your uh, rehab centers. You know, the IAF has one, the Center for Excellence, and there's a few of them around, but uh, it varies quite a bit. You know, there's quite a spectrum of these kind of places. So if you can vet them ahead of time, that's a really good idea. Um, uh, the uh, EAP people, I I know the uh, the collaborative, that's what uh, Chris, Chris Bader put together. The collaborative, uh, we put together a uh, clinician awareness program, and it's been put on around florida and it's, it's kind of cool i'm kind of proud of it we we bring in your clinicians for two three days and the ones that volunteer and we basically teach them what it's like to be a firefighter and we have it out at a, a fire academy or anybody who's got a training tower and that kind of stuff you do some classroom stuff with the terminology and that kind of thing 
and then we dress them up in bunker gear and we run some mock drills with some fake smoke and rescuing babies and you know you bring the little baby out and stick them in the back of a rescue and they've got another clinician in theirs with the paramedics in the back of the rescue and all that and then we debrief afterwards and they see what that's like and then they also spend an afternoon in a fire station and that so it it gets them to know the culture and that kind of thing i know uh two probably three guys who've had to have their session stopped because they made the clinician ill telling their stories you know and i guarantee you you and i could you know sit down and come up with some pretty gross stuff to tell these people yeah. And if you're not ready for it, if, if, you know, if they just saw the cash from getting another pool of clients there, that's not the people you want. Right. So if you screen them a little bit ahead of time, and yeah. some happy thoughts there. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Larry, I'm, I'm really glad that, uh, that, uh, um, we got put together. Uh, I think that there's, you know, a host of things that we could obviously, uh, touch on or, or keep this this thing going we're barely scratching the surface here but uh but i i, I want to uh, really thank you i appreciate you taking the time to to come on the show it looks like you got a pretty pretty cool uh life going there you got some some fun amazing going there that's not yeah. just a, uh not just a, a wallpaper that's that's a real uh real backdrop in uh larry's garage there and uh got some really really uh fun stuff going on there so Ron, thank you for your service. Thank you for for pouring into our our ten subscribers and uh, and uh, eleven. And uh, my mom. And uh, <laughs> we can get together next time you're you're down here. I'd love to uh, to shake your hand. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Uh, it wasn't too much of a downer, but uh, I got to tell you, if you do it right, you know the retirement does not suck, man. It's amazing. I love That's it. Right. That's right. So, and then for our our listeners that uh, that want to get uh, get connected to us uh like follow and share our 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 show and uh you can reach us at info at latfpodcast.com it's info at latfpodcast.com and we'll see you on the next one take care